Good morning. Good morning. Hallelujah. Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. Welcome to Queen Anne Lutheran Church this Easter Sunday. Whether you are a longtime member, a first time visitor, or somewhere in between, we are glad you are here. A few things to remember before we begin. First, as a gift to yourself and your neighbor, we invite you please to silence your phones. Next, if you wish to receive communion from your pew, be sure to have a communable. You can get those on the narthex table just outside these doors. You will commune first at my direction, and then after you commune, I will invite everybody forward who wishes to commune at the uh, rails. Finally, as we continue uh, with caution concerning COVID, we invite you, uh, before you take communion, to use the sanitizer and to mask. Uh, we encourage you, if you wish. Uh, when we share the peace, we'll also invite you to use uh, whatever gesture you feel is appropriate, whether it's this or this or shaking of hands. This is the day the Lord has made. Christ is risen, and through him, all creation is made new. His resurrection brings life and renewal to everything and everyone. Let us rejoice in the power of God's love and proclaim its victory over death in Jesus Christ. Our professional hymn, processional hymn, Jesus Christ is Risen Today, is printed in the back of your bulletin. Please rise as you are able.
Alleluia. Christ is risen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation. Let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord.
Lord be with you. Let us pray. God of mercy, we no longer look for Jesus among the dead, for he is alive and has become the Lord of life. Increase in our minds and hearts the risen life we share with Christ and help us to grow as your people toward the fullness of eternal life with you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. The Old Testament reading for Easter Sunday is taken from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 1 through 6. God's final word is always yes. Because God's love is everlasting, God always remains faithful. Ancient Israel is assured that it will be rebuilt and have plentiful crops. The people of God, too, will ultimately be reunited. A reading from the book of Jeremiah. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall take your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. And there shall be a day when sentinels will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. Word of God, word of life.
The epistle reading is taken from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Easter means new life for us as it first meant new life for Christ. His resurrection reshapes the entire focus and motivation of our lives since we are now hidden with the risen Christ in God. A reading from the letter to the Colossians. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Word of God, word of life. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 28th chapter. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will meet him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, the source of life, and from Jesus, God's Son, who is that life in this world. Amen. It's a question I've been asking for several months now. When it comes to the resurrection, what difference does it make? 
What difference does it make? I mean, you just heard the story, right? How the women following Jesus discovered the empty tomb, the implication of which being that God raised Jesus from the dead. But what honest-to-goodness difference does the resurrection make or what difference might it make in our daily lives, in the life of our church, and or in the world around us? Is it simply an article of faith, a belief we can either accept or reject? Or is there something more to it, something that continues among us even as I speak? When it comes to the resurrection, what difference does it make? Now, we're probably not used to asking what difference, if any, the resurrection makes in our daily lives, are we? That's because we, and I include myself here, have arguably been conditioned to think of the resurrection as a one-time event, something that happened 2,000 years ago to the physical body of Jesus. God, as it were, raised him from the dead, God resuscitated his corpse, and our task, our job, is simply to believe that God could accomplish such a miraculous feat. After all, as Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, with God, all things are possible. God, it would seem, can do anything. But don't you think there's something more to the resurrection? I do, but to access this something more, I believe we have to change the question. Instead of asking whether we believe in the resurrection, we need to ask, as I now have, what difference does it make? Or what difference might it make in our otherwise ordinary, everyday lives? In so doing, we open ourselves up to a whole new way of experiencing what his experiencing his living presence in the here and now within us, among us, and all around us. When we look for the resurrection, to borrow the words of the Nicene Creed, the past becomes present, and the present, the present can shape our future. Now, a moment ago, I said we, myself included, have been conditioned to think of the resurrection as a single occurrence that took place once upon a time in the relatively not so distant past. Something that happened to the body of Jesus. His tomb was empty. Our task as Christians in turn was to believe accordingly that God raised him from the dead, that God can do anything. No further action is necessary or required. For as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 10, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be raised. Belief is all, it would seem, that matters. Belief that he was bodily resuscitated and his tomb was empty. Taking its cue ostensibly from the Apostle Paul, Western Christianity, by which I mean European Christianity originating in the Latin-speaking portion of the Western Roman Empire, 
Western Christianity has since reduced the general resurrection of the dead. That is to say, the belief that all people will be raised, of which Jesus here was the first fruits, to the individual ascension of Jesus. We have evidence for this in artwork dating back to the fifth century. The New Testament scholar John Dominic Crossan explains. From 400 onwards, he writes, Western Christianity has spoken of the Easter event as the resurrection of Jesus. But its iconographic tradition, that is to say the artwork in our churches, has consistently depicted the resurrection of Jesus as the ascension of Jesus, emerging alone from and hovering alone above an empty tomb. I think here of a famous portrait of the crucifixion painted by an early 16th century artist named Matthias or Matthias Grunewald. In it, you see Jesus uh, crucified in a grotesque, exaggerated way. To his right, in a triptych, you see his resurrection, which again here is simply Jesus alone hovering above his empty grave. This is why I said Western Christians have been conditioned to think of the resurrection uh, as something that happened to Jesus alone. The implication being, and this is the point I want to make, that it has no relevance to our daily lives. No relevance to our daily lives. It belongs to the past. Take it or leave it. Wouldn't it be interesting if I just said amen and walked off? (laughs) Never came back. (laughs) Let me offer here one quick modern example of how Western Christianity has reduced the resurrection to an article of faith or a matter of belief. In 1910, the Northern Presbyterian Church, now the PCUSA, identified five fundamentals or articles of faith one must believe in order to properly and truly be a Christian. Five. The movement following became known as Christian fundamentalism. Today, most people associate Christian fundamentalism with the belief in the inerrancy of Scripture, which is to say that Scripture, God-breathed, is without error. Why? Because God wrote it. This indeed is the first of the five fundamentals. Fewer people know, however, that of the remaining four articles of faith, belief in a bodily resurrection of Jesus was and is essential to being a true Christian. Now, I'm not interested in debating whether dead men can walk. I prefer to bracket that question and leave it perhaps for you to decide. What concerns me this morning is what we lose. What we lose when we reduce the resurrection to a belief simply and solely regarding what happened to the physical body of Jesus Christ. Here's why. The stories we have about the resurrection in the New Testament show that his early followers experienced his risen presence in a variety of ways, in a variety of ways. I think, for example, of the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, according to Luke 24. It's there that these disciples experience the risen presence of Christ when they break bread together in his name. That's clearly a different experience than the empty tomb about which we heard 
this morning. This variety of ways, in turn, changed the lives of people living throughout Roman-occupied Judea. It gave them hope in the face of loss. How do I know this? I simply changed the question from whether they merely believed in the resurrection to what difference it made in their lives. Again, just changing the question from whether they merely believed in the resurrection to what difference it actually made in their lives. I then, and this is usually a mistake, posted the question on Facebook to a ragtag group of theological misfits who identify themselves as radical Christians. And the answers I received were astounding. Listen closely. The resurrection not only provides hope in the face of loss, one said, it inspires revolutionary optimism. In fact, it is revolutionary optimism. You can kill a revolutionary, she explained, but you cannot kill a revolution. The proof of that is here, now. The fact that we gather in his name. The resurrection, another person said, is nonviolent insurrection. Pilate's official seal was on the stone before the tomb, and Pilate decreed it was not to be moved. But it was moved. Thus, this person says, the resurrection was an act of civil disobedience against Rome that spread like wildfire across the ancient Near East. It was God's middle finger to power. The culmination of the upside-down kingdom Jesus had been preaching since the beginning of his public ministry, according to Matthew and Mark. Imagine, therefore, the difference this new way of life, this middle finger to Rome, one that could, Rome could not snuff out even in the crucifixion of Jesus, would make in the lives of the poor, the lives of the outcast, the lives of the marginalized. A difference his followers would live out and practice by sharing their property in common, Acts 2, by welcoming people irrespective of their social status to the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11, and by absolving or destabilizing hierarchical distinctions between Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, Galatians 3, as fundamental to their life together. Does this not sound like a revolution? Does this not make Jesus himself a revolutionary? A man who disrupted existing social relations by incarnating a new way of life, a new way of life before God and neighbor that even Rome could not stop by executing him. Should we not accordingly rename the New Testament the Communist Mani Cristo? <laughs> well, that may be a stretch, but we do know this. Many of Jesus' followers, including the author of Colossians, our second reading for today, understood the resurrection as a new way of life that actually made a difference to those formerly regarded as misfits and outcasts. 
It was an emerging transformation of society that came about all across the ancient Mediterranean world in tiny house churches where all people were one as the risen body of Christ, that is the community of faith that grew out of his death. It should be clear, therefore, that the resurrection was more than something that happened to Jesus' physical body. It was a new way of life that became manifest in the earliest of Christian communities, the kind that made a real difference in the lives of his followers who regarded themselves as one in the body of Christ, which is to say, the church. But there was still more to it, wasn't there? Was it not also the power of transformation and renewal? the kind that the prophet Jeremiah anticipated in our first reading that swept through the churches of Asia Minor, enabling people like the Apostle Paul to say, even in the face of death, I can do all things through him who strengthens me? The theologian Dorothy Zola thinks so. She talks of Christ as the mysterious power which was in Jesus and which continues on in us and sometimes makes us into fools in Christ who, without hope of success and without objective or goal, share their life with others. Now, I think of this during the week when, thanks to your generosity, I am able to provide funding for people who are either... Uh, short on food or close to being evicted. This past week was a record. In my uh, six plus years of being here, we had more requests for financial assistance due to potential evictions than any other I've experienced. Sometimes when people come to me and I give them money on your behalf, they say to me, well, this is a loan. Or they'll say to me, I can clean things around the church. And I say, absolutely not. This is a gift. There are no strings attached. Sure, we'd love to see you at a Sunday service, but there's nothing you have to do to respond or reciprocate. In these instances, I think of what it means to be a fool in Christ, to share life with others without an ulterior motive, without the hope of success, but just to do it because it's right. There is, we might say, something of Christ in living for others, in standing up for others, a power which could not and cannot be destroyed, a contagious power that appears in the midst of defeat and despair. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to experience this power, the living Christ. I want transformation and renewal for my life, but not only for me, I want transformation and renewal for you and for us as a congregation. But the only way to get there, I believe, is to let the Holy Spirit change our way of seeing. Several weeks ago, I talked about how more than a couple people told me the closure of our congregation in two to five years is a foregone conclusion that we will dry up. That may be true, I I reply, for those who think of us For those of us who cannot look beyond the cross, who cannot see beyond the possibilities of defeat and failure. And that was certainly how Jesus' followers felt after he died. Yet unlike them, we know what Paul Harvey would call the rest of the story. 
We know how the story ends. We know that death did not have the last word, which again is why the Nicene Creed invites us not simply to believe in the resurrection, but to look for the resurrection, not only in every leaf of springtime, as Martin Luther beautifully puts it, but in the possibilities for renewal and transformation even within these four walls. Christ is here. Christ is among us. He is risen. Think about what, that, what might happen if rather than expecting death and closure, we expected transformation and new life. That, my friends, is faith. It's trusting in the promise of the resurrection. God has something more in store for the early followers of Jesus, and God has something more in store for us too. It's a question I've been asking now for several months. When it comes to the resurrection, what difference does it make or might it make in my life? And the answer I now have is this. It gives me hope in the power of renewal, that even when things seem dire, even on the other side of great loss, circumstances can change. The last thing the followers of Jesus expected was to experience his living presence on the other side of his horrific, awful execution. And yet, look what happened. That excites me. It gives me hope. It makes a difference. With the help of the Holy Spirit, I expect now the unexpected. And so I turn the question back to you. When it comes to the resurrection, what difference does it make or might it make in your life? And what difference might it make in our life as a church? And Jesus said, Amen.
Let us confess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and For the prayers of the church, you may be seated or kneel, whichever your preference. Let us pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. You call your church to witness to your salvation. We give thanks for Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died on this day in 1945, and for all theologians, preachers, and teachers who proclaim your gospel. Equip your whole church to share the joy of the resurrection with others. Lord, in your mercy. You bring forth life and renewal throughout creation. Because of you, the green blade rises and the earth teems with life and renewal in springtime. Keep us mindful to care for what you have entrusted to us. Lord, in your mercy. Your steadfast love breaks through borders barriers, and human-made divisions. Infuse your justice in every nation of the world that all experience the peace that only you can give. Lord, in your mercy. You anointed your Son with the Holy Spirit and with power. Encourage us by his example in our ministries of healing, care, and outreach. We pray for all who are sick or hospitalized and for all healthcare workers who care for them. Lord, in your mercy. You have put gladness in our hearts 
and you open our eyes to your kingdom as it emerges all around us. Inspire musicians and dancers to rejoice with songs of victory. Bless the music ministries of this congregation and all who contribute to our song, Lord, in your mercy. For whom or what else do the people of God pray? Lord God, we pray for discernment when it comes to seeking the resurrection, the transformation and renewal of life in our lives individually and as a congregation. We pray for each person gathered here today that you may give and grant that renewal, especially when times are difficult. We pray especially for Chris, for the family of Christine, for Jeff, Gordon, for the family of Georgianne, the family of Sharon, the family of Lee Mathis, for Cara's friend Lena, for the Unseth family, for the Ritchie family, for Candy, for the family of Elena, Richard, for Matthew, for the family of Michael, for John's friend, for Jessica, Jennifer, Lisa's mother Eunice, Pat's sister Donna, Pat's niece Kathleen, Pat herself recovering from surgery, Finley, Kirsty, Awatosh Mulugeta, Jan, Jean, Richard, Barb, Carol, Mary, Hildy, and Denny. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. The resurrection of Jesus emboldens us in the face of our mortality. As we mourn those we have lost, give us the confidence that nothing can separate us from your love, not even death. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Rejoicing in the victory of Christ's resurrection, we lift our prayers in praise to you, the one in whom we live, move, and have our being. Through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. Please rise as you are able. The peace of Christ be with you always. Please share that peace with one another. Please rise again as you are able for the great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. And also with you. 
Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is indeed right, our duty and our joy, that we should at all times and in all places give thanks and praise to you, almighty and merciful God, for the glorious resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the true Paschal Lamb who gave himself to take away our sin, who in dying has destroyed death and in rising has brought us to eternal life. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Blessed are you, O source of the universe. Your generosity is everlasting and your faithfulness endures from age to age. Praise to you for creating the seas and the skies. Praise to you for saving the earth from the waters of a flood. Praise to you for freeing the Israelites from oppression. Praise to you for leading your people through the wilderness to the land of milk and honey. Praise to you for the words and deeds of Jesus, your anointed one. Praise to you for the resurrection of Christ. Praise to you for your spirit poured out on us and all nations. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Lord, inspire us to work toward your kingdom, to seek the resurrection, and to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. The kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. 
All baptized Christians are welcome to the table of grace in this place of grace. In the Lutheran tradition, we believe that while Christ fills all things, he comes to us in a special way, a forgiving way, a consoling way, where he's been promised, namely in the sacrament of Holy Communion and in the waters of baptism. If you wish to receive a blessing in place of the Eucharist, you are still welcome to join us at the rails. Simply fold your hands and you will be blessed accordingly. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, gives everyone a place at the welcome table. Alleluia. Receive the bread of life. For those of you communing from the pew, I invite you to take out your communable and receive accordingly. This is the body of Christ given for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you.
Please rise as you are able for our post-communion prayer. Living God, you have greeted us in our brokenness and nourished us with the body of Christ broken for us. Risen to new life in you, send us now to be Christ to a wounded world in the name of our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Please be seated once more for announcements. Wow, what a glorious day. It is wonderful to see all of you here to celebrate the living presence of Christ, not only back then, but in our lives here and now. Just a few announcements I wanted to share. First, if you are a visitor, we invite you to fill out a Connect card in the pew ahead of you. You may also find prayer cards for prayer requests there as well. Wanted to thank the people who coordinated and put on the wonderful Easter breakfast we had this morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Especially Mark Dibble, uh, as well as Rich Mathis, and the many others uh, who uh, helped throughout the morning. That was the first time since before the pandemic we gathered to uh, have an Easter breakfast, and it was wonderful to see the Fellowship Hall uh, full again. Speaking of the Fellowship Hall and the certain activity that occurred there, I'd like to uh, invite forward Vanity Keel, our Children and Youth Ministry Coordinator, to talk about a special event that will take place right after the worship service. Hello, hello. Good morning, good morning, and happy Easter to you all. It's so nice to see you guys, so many new faces and so many familiar faces. So what a welcome, what a welcome. I love all the smiles on your guys' faces. Um, Today during our Easter breakfast, we had some of our young ones decorate some eggs, um, and those decorated eggs were hidden out by our uh, lovely volunteers, uh, Jenna and uh, Grace. So thank you to you two. Um, The eggs are now hidden, and um, if any young ones want to go out and find them, they will be in the conference room, the library, and the narthex. So right after this, um, I'm going to ask you, some of your young ones, if you are interested, uh, to meet me out in the narthex, and we'll start in the conference room, and we'll make our way back into the narthex with with hopefully um, some eggs that you guys decorated and hidden. So thank you for that. Um, It is Easter. It is a resurrection day, so um, it's so nice to see you, and um, thank you for the the warm welcome. So yeah, I'll see you guys uh, after the service, and a happy Easter. Thank you, Vanity. Speaking of the narthex, after the service, we invite you to pick up a new edition of the quill. We also invite you to take a look at the monitor in the narthex. It displays a series of images concerning the uh, planned triangle project. Uh, So we invite you to take a look at that and uh, see what you think. Uh, We met with uh, Kim Rooney, landscape architect, uh, a few weeks ago, and now we have this Uh, to view uh, uh, after the service as well. So please do take a look. I wanted to uh, thank our uh, uh, student brass quartet from the great Pacific Lutheran University. Thank you for being here. And thank you as always to our wonderful choir for providing the song uh, by which we worship and glorify God. Thank you so much. 
Finally, one more round of thanks. Uh, as I mentioned in my sermon, uh, we had a huge demand this past week for, uh, for financial assistance. We're one of the few churches in the area that actually will provide uh, some degree of financial help. I wanted to thank Myra, our treasurer, who constantly uh, receives requests from me and writes checks and brings them to the church. Because of you giving to this fund, we kept, as I said, about half a dozen people from being evicted from their homes this month. And I think that is not only a tribute to you, it's a tribute to the Christ who lives among you and among us. So thank you, and if you feel so moved, we could always use more funding uh, to provide help for others. Uh, just a couple uh, last things. Uh, this is hard to believe, but there will be church next Sunday as well. <laughs> and that's because Easter is a season. And so if you're visiting or if this is the first time you've been back for a while, we would love to see you again. We will continue with a series on the power of renewal uh, as evident in the resurrection. So I hope you can join us. We also have two exciting forums coming up. Can Aging Be a Spiritual Practice on April 23rd, led by our own Dr. Betty Merton? And then again, in honor of Earth Day, we will have Professor Eric Long, who specializes in biology and ecology, to speak with us on priests of a groaning creation. That promises to be fascinating. So uh, our forums occur between 9 and 10 uh, in the conference room, and we would always, of course, welcome you uh, and see you there. Are there any other announcements for the good of the congregation? Then please rise as you are able for the blessing. Let us bless the Lord. Eternal God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you. Our recessional hymn, Now All the Vault of Heaven Resounds, is printed in the back of your bulletin. Sing boldly. <laughs> 